think about all the guidance we're getting today, and then many people listening to this are probably following, you know, shelter sort of in place, keep your distance. If you go out, stay six feet away from people. Hard to do if you're confined, hard to do if you're in a congregate setting, you share a cell, you all eat in a cafeteria, right? Can't do it. People are confined to prisons and detention centers and stay in homeless shelters all across the world. The United States is just one example of that, but it's an extreme one. Right. We know that in the U.S. we incarcerate more people than other countries. Prisons and places like prisons are not immune to the spread of COVID-19. These kinds of institutions are ripe for infection. Besides the, the just horror of that is that the more disease we allow, the more risk everybody faces. People can't isolate themselves, and we're facing a disease that thrives on that. So what do we do? I have a feeling you've got some ideas. These are extraordinary measures I'm suggesting, but I think anybody who's living through this moment knows we're in extraordinary times. From News at Northeastern, this is Litmus, a conversation with Northeastern University's groundbreaking researchers. We connect what's going on in their labs to what's going on in your life. We're News at Northeastern reporters Aria Bracci and Emily Arnson. I am Wendy Parmet. I am the faculty director for the Center for Health Policy and Law, Northeastern University. People who are healthy, people who have access to good health care, people who have homes that they can shelter in place, right? They're going to be in a lot better position than populations that are homeless, that are poor, that are in detention, even other people with identical biological profiles. But in fact, even the health of the well-off is to some degree affected by the conditions and the risks faced by the more vulnerable. What I'm hearing from you is that we're recognizing a shared humanity, a shared circumstance that was always really kind of there, but didn't become apparent until right now. Yeah, well, that's absolutely right. And really well stated. We need to understand in an infectious disease that diseases don't respect boundaries of class or race or ethnicity or prison status or immigration status. So homeless populations, immigrants, why those people are particularly vulnerable? Our system, such as it is, is not really a system. The U.S. healthcare system. It's a lot of different private institutions. Far more than any other country, we leave it to the market. Do we still have a healthcare mandate? Do people get penalized for not having coverage? So we don't have a mandate or we have a mandate, but it has no teeth. So we have a toothless mandate. So now we have a law that says you need to have insurance, but it has zero consequences legally if you do not. The policies that we have that are debatable on a sunny day are really not appropriate for when the storm strikes. And unfortunately, the storm has come. Are there any policies or laws that you can mention by name? Well, sure. So, for example, the 1996 Welfare Reform Act, those who are documented, those people, people who are lawfully present, um, including legal permanent residents, so-called green card holders, 
are not eligible for Medicaid for five years after they achieve that status. Why is that? Because Congress very explicitly in the act, you know, says we want immigrants to be, quote, self-sufficient, unquote, right? The United States should not be a magnet for people seeking benefits. I mean, there are so many problems with that, again, even in non-pandemics, but I think it's pretty clear to everyone as they're holing up at home right now, we're not self-sufficient right now. You know, nobody can be self-sufficient in a pandemic. I think a lot of people are wondering, what can I do besides stay at home, besides not go to a bar or a party, which is actually, especially for many young and healthy people, it is sort of an act of altruism right now. But there are some things we can't do alone. We need our government to do it. These laws that I've been talking about and things, there are ways they can be waived. There are regulations that can get around it. There are solutions to some of these. We don't have the vaccine, but there are things that can be done to make a bad situation slightly less bad. So the measures that people could could petition for, could could ask explicitly the government to enact could change circumstances for people. But what about existing places, like you're saying, detention centers, prisons? Are there ways that within the confines of those existing places, they can sort of adapt prevention guidelines and best practices? Well, some entities and groups very much involved with prisons have called for lowering the population. We have a lot of older, sicker people in prisons they should be sent home right now. It's dangerous for them. And again, everybody who's susceptible becomes more fuel for the fire. Second of all, why throw 10 people in the cell together overnight? In many cases, you know, eight of them, 10 of them are going to be released the next morning anyway, right? And given a court date for a misdemeanor. People should not be thrown into the back of a room with a whole bunch of other people exposed to their germs. Yeah, and this isn't impossible. New York City, Cuyahoga County in Ohio, LA, they're all actually already doing this. Part of it is arresting fewer people in the first place, but it also means just sending some prisoners home. Social distancing means we should creating space between people, but that also applies to our institutional settings as much as possible. So it's not some magic sanitation solution that no one's heard of. It's just doing the same thing, but everywhere, including in these institutions. Now, to be clear, many people should not be going to healthcare right now because they have mild cases, they will heal on their own, and they shouldn't be clogging the system. That's regardless of health insurance status or immigration status, right? But people who need care need to be able to get the care. What kind of human beings are we if we say, well, because you're low income or because you're unemployed or because, you know, you are not yet a full citizen, We could help you, but we won't. If they don't get treated, if they don't get diagnosed and tested, if they don't get isolated, it's 
terrible for them and their families, but it's terrible for everyone. Institutions like detention centers and prisons, which are so vulnerable to the spread of infection, um, are not in a bubble. People, they're released. Staff go back and forth. Supplies go back and forth. Disease that spreads there can easily spread into the broader community. And vice versa. Exactly. If we allow, for example, the virus to spread rampantly in a prison or a detention center, it it will make its way from that center into the broader community. And so pandemics have a way of teaching us, reminding us that we're all in this together. Special thanks to Wendy Parmet, Matthews Distinguished University Professor of Law, Professor of Public Policy and Urban Affairs, and Director of the Center for Health Policy and Law at Northeastern University. Sound engineering by Anthony Polito and me, Arya Bracci. Mixing and mastering by Anthony Polito. Our editor is David Filipov. From News at Northeastern, this is Litmus. We're News at Northeastern reporters Arya Bracci and Emily Arnson. Catch you next time.